1: My name is Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bean. And on today's episode, we conclude our first season with yet another Lars Von Trier film, The House That Jack Built. We discuss the movie's meta commentary on using art to improve and define our lives and how that message functions within what is essentially a serial killer comedy. Midway upon the journey of our
0: life, I found myself within a forest dark for the straightforward path had been lost. Mm. Ah, me, how hard a thing it is to say. What was this forest savage, rough and stern, which in the very thought renews the fear? So bitter is it, death is little more, but of the good to treat, which there I found, speak will I
1: of the other things I saw there. Is this a poem from, I don't know a lot about this kind of writing, but I feel like I know who wrote this. Who, Who wrote this? Chris Lambert. (laughs) (laughs) no no somebody who here let me put it another way um chris lambert is a reincarnation of this person
0: oh that's more than fair to say yeah you're welcome more more than fair to say (laughs) dante Alighieri. Uh, so that's that's verge right uh, it's, it's Dante at the start oh, yeah, yeah. of, of course. uh, the divine comedy, but Virgil is, uh, the guide that Dante has going through, uh, you know, yeah the it, Inferno and the mid level and then paradise.
1: If there wasn't like, if you were never inspired to start writing about movies, like, you know, you, you, what was it? No Country for Old Men, right? That really st- started you going? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, if that never happened and, like, you liked movies, but you felt no need to explain them, would you have written about literature, do you think?
0: I, mm, maybe, but literature is such a That's a tough one. Th- yeah, thing, like, doing an analysis of a book. <laughs> yeah. It takes so much more, like, note-taking work. It's so it's much wild. more immense than a movie. But that's kind of the thing that makes it interesting because for some of them, there're very few resources out there to have anything about it. Like if you want somebody to tell you what was going on in the book *Terra Nostra* by Carlos Fuentes, yeah, you'd be the only one. Yeah, good luck. You can't find it. <laughs> I mean, you get some like summaries and thoughts on two thousand six hundred sixty-six by Bolaño, because that was a more popular book. But even then, you don't get all that much. Man. So, so it it'd but. Be f-
1: It could be more rewarding then.
0: It would be fun, but you could get like four done in a lifetime.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You just did one a year. And then after like, you know, 10, 15 years, you are right that it's not as popular of a search, but you would be the only one explaining these. So I bet by the end of that 15 years, you'd be getting a lot of page views. Yeah, maybe like 5,000 a year. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, you know, how long?
0: (laughs) I think it took four months to get more than five thousand page views in a month for film classes. Now look at us. I know. Now we're at well still over a hundred thousand, but one day it'll be a million.
1: Millions. Millions. <laughs> so a long way to intro the house that Jack built. I just feel like I, I hadn't I didn't really think of this when I chose this movie for the podcast, but I feel like maybe you would like this because of its literary elements
0: i'm very conflicted on this movie
1: okay yeah i want to talk
0: about it it's uh it was pretty fascinating to me to watch like the the different reactions i was having to it because you know as we talked about in the previous episode i had only ever watched in terms of lars von trier melancholia so i don't really have a feel for his style yeah uh, the themes that he looks at, anything like that. I had no idea what this movie was about going in. I didn't watch a trailer. I just saw the thumbnail on Hulu. Yeah. That's all That's all <laughs> that I really knew. Um, and I'm very... Uh, it's either one of those things where I either don't like it or I'm going to end up talking myself into really liking it. Like <laughs> I, I have a... <laughs> I have a similar feeling about this that I had to tar and what was one of the other Babylon was another recent one where I watched them. I recognized there were some really like great things that were going on, but I wondered how much of it I really liked or connected to or were interested in, but I keep thinking about it Hmm. and both tar and Babylon have risen up. In my estimations over time uh, a similar thing happened with there will be blood <laughs> when i first watched that so i can see the house of jack Bill like eventually getting to the point of really liking it but uh, it's such a
1: curious mixture of energies uh when did you first watch this um i watched it earlier this year god maybe like three months ago for the first time
0: interesting because i feel like this movie is doing so many of the things that you talked about terrifier 2 doing oh yeah i thought about that and when i watch terrifier 2 and i hear you and jordan our friend uh who we discuss movies with talk about some of the thematic things that it's doing i get it but also at the same time there's something with terrifier 2 where i'm like i don't know if it's how deeply how deep it's going or how much it actually Mm -hmm. like has to say about art right? aside from maybe setting up a frame for it and then having uh, things happening that you can kind of create theories on or commentary about to discuss. Mm -hmm. But this is going like full tilt in that direction. It totally is, yeah. And that's pretty fascinating to watch happen, that connection between a serial killer and artistic creation and viewing the film as a metaphor for artistic creation, mm-hmm. which is one of the things with Terrifier 2, as you know, the clowns called art. <laughs> yeah. It's very in your face in that way, which this is as well. So I was thinking about that a lot while watching it. There's also something very American psycho y about it in terms of the the dark comedy with mm-hmm. somebody who's very much kind of, uh, I guess he's not as much of a zeitgeist figure as Patrick Bateman is, but there's something to be said about Matt Dillon's representation of the artist in a way that's Patrick Bateman's this representation of Wall Street Bros. Um, and what's it mean for an artist to create and destroy? the distraction that takes place. I feel like there's a little bit of a, a joke in the way that artists are trying to build a house, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's what you're doing. And yet every artist deals with the fact that they have something that keeps pulling them away from the house. Right. So the fact that for Jack, it's just going out and murdering and he's not actually working on the house, finishing the house. Virgil comes in at one point point is like, weren't you building a house? Right, And that it all comes back to the creation of the house at the end, which is just a a stack of all the bodies. Yeah. It captures the artistic process in a really fascinating way. There's just sometimes during the actual like scene level where I felt about the movie, maybe some of the way that you felt about Hereditary. Mm hmm. To thought where, about hereditary too <laughs> yeah it's there's like a, a purposeful cruelness to it that i don't know if it heightens the point adds to the points it just at times left me feeling less interested and more grossed out by the behavior yeah i get that or by the the indulgence in it. And I can see people arguing, you know, that's the point or that does connect to it the same way that I do with Hereditary. Mm-hmm. But that was definitely, especially in the first, I don't know, two hours, like hour and a half. I think the the last half, as it got more into the artistic stuff, the philosophical stuff, uh, it was definitely coming together a lot better for me. But yeah. some of the, the indulgent portions in the the first hour and a half i was like okay i i get it but i don't know if it needs to be all of this
1: i feel like everything you just said perfectly sets up this episode because i I, i'm with you more than you think i for the record as put it out there right now i absolutely love this movie yeah it's such
0: a travis movie
1: I thought I might have loved it the first time I watched it. And it was one of those rare times where I watched the movie and I immediately wanted to rewatch it like right sitting there right then. Unfortunately, that's much tougher to do these days. So I couldn't really do that. <laughs> and I, I kind of like, I still thought I might like maybe a couple of days later, but I kind of floated away from it. Kind of forgot about it and then moved on. And I've had it in the back of my mind that I would pick it for one of these episodes. So finally did finally watched it again. It clicked. Um, But I want to go, I just want to walk through a a lot of the stuff you just said, because I think a lot of it does connect. When you were talking about, like, you know, Tar and um, what's the other movie? Babylon. Babylon. And you pair that up with, like, There'll Be Blood and The House of Jack Built and maybe even Terrifier 2 on some level, since we've already mentioned it. Um, And how, and I I have been thinking about this, too. I, I hate two of those movies, Babylon and Tar. And I also would just throw, like, Hereditary and Midsummer to that group, too. Like, there's something... I almost feel bad hating on those movies, because you are totally right. They are so idiosyncratic. They're so different. Like, they are such a unique aesthetic that it it's almost unfair to say they could be that bad. <laughs> like, if they're doing something different, like, I should appreciate it. But I guess it's... I feel like that's just the nature of art when you're going for more, when you're trying to do something bigger and better, you can like fall even further, which is what I think happens to stuff like Babylon and tar. Um, but you, if you achieve it, you achieve these great heights, which you mentioned the house of Jack there'll be blood. Like I'm in that camp. Like I finally kind of see what they're doing and they've become this like immortalized thing to me. And that's what terrifier two did. Um, i i feel like this gets at a big not different i i don't think wouldn't even say it's a difference between you and i and how we watch movies we just have different sensibilities and when i see something like terrifier 2 i don't need it to spell things out in the way that the house that jack built i think my favorite movies which includes all these movies i'm mentioning that are like up there of like you know the best i've ever seen is that they're just so realized um aesthetically like they're just they're so stylistic and they're so achieving what they're going for just on a visceral level that I feel like that's everything Terrifier 2 does like equals everything that the house of Jack built did even though like you could say objectively the house of Jack built is doing way more like there's way more talking there's way more scenes there's way more interactions yet because Terrifier 2 is so just majestic and what it's going for, and like these brutal kills and the misery people are going through, like it's it's going so high with it that in my mind it is singing a lot. Like it's really smart. So, uh, and then that brings us to the discussion of art, <laughs> and I and i realized, and you've mentioned that his name is Art the Clown. You know, I, I found that my absolute favorite movies all touch in this subject, which is why I now think The House of Jackboat might be up there for me, because it's not just these movies that are about art, it, they become, it, it, this is just my reaction whenever I see a movie like this. Like I suddenly feel so included in what's happening because art doesn't work unless there are people to appreciate it and people engaging with it and people understanding it and making part of their lives. And for a movie to do that to, especially a movie like the house of Jack Bell, it's about a guy who is trying to create this great piece of art with his life. And art by its very nature is about how to live your life better. Like it's, these are these lessons and these reflections we can use to examine our life. And so the movie becomes about like the most beautiful part of art, except in this like super cruel, <laughs> like contradictory way, kind of it's, it's really interesting how it's navigating all of it. So I think on just some level, I was witnessing a movie that was finally about art in a different way. And achieving at the same height i think something like terrifier 2 does because it's just so aesthetically forceful like it just so is what it is and it's so different and bizarre yet that never feels like uh disjointed or like false it it just something like this has such magnetism and personality in a way that like i can't deny it like it's just achieving its point (laughs) purely on the basis that like it's there it's doing it like it's doing something i've definitely never seen before you know what i mean
0: yeah. I mean, it's audacious in a way that you rarely, rarely get from a lot of films, but there is the, the frame of it being about art that I think softens a lot of what's happening, especially when you talk about some of the differences in our sensibilities as I was watching, it, I was just like, Oh, having this frame on the movie <laughs> would add such a layer of interest for travis it always does yeah because it allows all the very like heavy gruesome <laughs> yeah. stuff to have like a different uh, more dynamics to it and especially then when you add in the comedy part i could imagine <laughs> you just <laughs> cracking up like when the siren starts when he's at the woman's house in the second incident. Yeah. And you're like, oh yeah, he has to get away. But then he keeps having his OCD issues and has to go back in even though the cop is coming. Yeah. And there's just that absurdity to the situation that's going on that I was just like, oh yeah, this would just this would be cracking traps. You know me well. (laughs) Um but it does feel like two ends of the spectrum. We talk about on, on our website, we have the how to watch a film section where we have a list of techniques that people can use. And we did a series on the topic. And when we did that series, we started with a film that was a bit more, um, it had nuance and depth, but was a little more, uh, what's the phrase? Straightforward? Or, the word not straightforward but uh not ingratiating digestible yeah digestible in that way of you know it's not as straightforward as an adam sandler movie but it's one (laughs) that you you. can (laughs) it's one that you can with a few techniques start to see what's going on and then we ended with a much more complicated movie where you had to start using multiple techniques stacking them on top of each other in order to start to solve it and what movie
1: was this?
0: Just in the series, I think we started with Spirited Away and we ended okay. with. I was wondering like, Fight what Club? specifically what movie. It was. Oh, okay, sorry. You so
1: that's every movie I see. Yeah,
0: yeah. From the start of the series to the end of the series, we started with a more okay uh, approachable it. movie, and then we ended with something a little more complex. Sure. In order to show and get people used to using the, these techniques in film. <laughs> And I feel like there's something similar with the house that Jack built and with Terrifier 2 in that it's almost like the house that Jack built. Lars von Trier is so aware that people aren't going to get it and is also talking to people who don't get it and is sick of not being gotten that he puts on a lot of yeah. bumpers in places to make sure that you're following along and understanding some of what the movie's getting at. So there's a lot more exposition. There's a lot more, did you get what this is doing? Uh, Then in Terrifier 2, which has a lot of those bumpers off and is just kind of giving you an initial like, hey, hey, pay attention, and then goes off and you either follow along or you don't. So the two movies are very similar in their discussion of art, but very different in how... Sure much one's showing versus how much the other one's telling
1: look around you can find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader yeah and does that bother you like i mean i mean obviously it does i think because you always say the phrase show don't tell and i and i do believe that to an extent. And that's just always been a rule, I think in general, but I, I will say I have felt myself softening on it, on that a little bit over the years because I, I did feel that way for a long time. And I do think there are movies I don't like at all that tell, but I think on some level you can tell, but if you do it in a very artful way, like in a pretty way, if it becomes part of the aesthetic, I found that movies are maybe getting a little better at that. And I kind of, myself i don't mind it so much anymore like psycho ends with the guy coming out and explaining everything wrong with norman bates (laughs) like it's such a ridiculous scene on some level that like you need this guy to come out and just like tell you what happened even though you already watched all of it and it doesn't i think a lot of people criticize it because like ostensibly it doesn't leave room for judgment and understanding and piecing things together yourself But I also, at the same time, I used to feel that way about Psycho, but as I've watched it again and again, because I've become kind of fascinated with that movie, I find it to be a bit of a comical scene at the end that we are going to these lengths to explain something so vividly, like so something that just like is easily definable by humans that like it starts to become a joke almost in a way, you know, that you need this guy to come out and tell you what happened as opposed to like just looking in the Norman Bates' eye and like feeling what really happened, which is why the movie ends with a shot of him just like staring into the camera. I think movies are getting better at that kind of thing. And I put the house of Jack Bell in that category and that like, yeah, the movie is sitting there like telling you, but at one point in the movie, you have a bunch of shots of Lars von Trier's movies. yeah, <laughs> uh, you realize like, Oh, like this guy's like wrestling with himself as an artist, you know? and making himself contemplate what he's created and like what good he's done with his art. Like it, it, at that point, I don't mind being told because it like helps me realize something and it becomes like part of the, which is another reason I love meta movies. So, like, if you're being told anything in a meta movie, that's kind of meta, <laughs> like that's part of what they're doing. And so I, I, I guess I, um, in a movie like this, it doesn't mind I guess ultimately what I'm asking is, do you mind that the movie's telling you a lot? Um, in an instance like this, where it is meta and it kind of has a, it, it isn't used in the same way that like just a movie that's boringly telling you how to everything you need to understand, you know.
0: And, no, I've had a, a similar softening on it as well. Especially, I referenced the book uh, two thousand six hundred sixty-six by yeah. Roberto Bolaño, and that's one that's heavily, heavily just <laughs> tells you everything. Yeah, but. I think that it can be a very useful technique when telling of plot can still be part of telling of or showing of theme. Yeah. And it's also something that you get a lot of in 100 Years of Solitude by uh, Marquez. You're just straight up told a lot of these dynamics, what's going on, the importance of it, the meaning of it. But. Just because you're told one bit of information doesn't mean you're not being shown something else or that showing still isn't happening. And I think that's very true with the house that Jack built. Like when I'm when I was setting up the kind of the difference between showing and telling between the two films, there was no qualitative judgment there right um, because there's so much still going on that the house <laughs> in the house of Jack built that I think you need a certain amount of telling, just to make sure people can <laughs> uh,
1: follow along. Yeah, even Lars ways. von Trier understands that. Yeah, uh, that it's not just... <laughs> you're it can't not just, be completely indulgent.
0: Yeah, completely lost in everything that's going on. Though you do have a movie like... What's uh, a pigeon sat on a branch <laughs> reflecting on existence? <laughs> that's different. Which or like has no telling whatsoever but it's just these series of vignettes that stack and stack and stack and you can start to piece together over time what's going on but that's getting Mm -hmm. it such a a more broad thing yeah than what the house that jack built is wrestling with as it really is von trier doing a great meditation on what it means to make art what he's done with art the process of art that having some of the back and forth between uh, Jack and Virgil is just necessary to the Mm. questions being asked and some of what he's
1: overall thinking about. Yeah. I, I agree. Like, and I just think that I'm just so fascinated by a movie like this. Like, you know, when I think about the best movies I've seen this year and I, and I feel like the, The criteria for like the absolute best, it it becomes, it has to be more than just like unique, like something like Midsummer is unique. I can't deny it, but it has to fuse that uniqueness, that aesthetic that's so foreign to me with something deeply profound and something that connects with me. And and I've just found over time that movies about art do that to me because I, I think I, that's why art is such an important part of my life that because I, I guess for a long time I lacked the confidence to believe like I could create like I could become something bigger and like mean something important um and even on what level that even means like what does it mean to be important like it's been a whole process for me and I found that the movies that pushed me further further down the path of understanding that and realizing my life path have been these movies about art and how your relationship with art works and and what it ultimately means to experience something like that. Like, how do you, like, you, you know, the first time I watched The House of Jack, but like, I thought I connected with it, but I was like, man, what is it about this movie that like is driving me nuts? It did take a second view and it did, I needed this moment to realize like what it was saying to me. Like, to me, that's what, the best art does and these movies about art seem to just take that step for me maybe i'm a simpleton and i need a movie about art (laughs) to be able to realize that i don't know um but i just you know that this kind of movie i it connects in a way that's uh, that's why i'm so excited to talk about it today like even as i'm sitting here like praising the hell out of it like i don't know if i completely understand it (laughs) like i think i get it and like I feel like I have so many disparate thoughts that all connect, but I need to like finally put them in a pyramid and make it into something. Um, So hopefully we do that here today.
0: (laughs) Well said. If you have more movies about art that you'd
1: like to (laughs) talk about. (laughs) I did the other, one of the other best movies I've seen this year was demons Two, which is famously like a bad movie, I guess, whatever, I guess all, I love all bad movies, (laughs) but that movie is so brazenly and openly about people who watch movies and how like movies take over the culture and everything and and at the same time like all these demons that represent the movie that everyone's obsessed with come out and kill everybody in this high-rise apartment building like <laughs> it's such a simple metaphor like okay you get it but because it's so well done that I'm just like this is one of the best movies I've ever seen is it <laughs> Does uh, Demon 1 cover the same topic? <laughs> it does, but I think in a less interesting way. Like there's something, not necessarily a less interesting way as far as like the message and the metaphor, like I guess the metaphors in both movies are the same. It's purely just like the style and the way that message is explored with the uh the plot or the ritual as Lars von Trier would call it. It's like the th- the story needed a movie to make it all make sense. Like I just thought the way he explored the story in the movie was way more interesting and just to the level of like, oh, I've never seen anything like this. This is so bizarre.
0: Yeah, the idea of the artistic expression in the movie, and I think that's where a lot of the value is in the film for me, because as just like a serial killer movie or like a comedic serial killer movie yeah, in it some com- ways, It is a
1: serial comedy. It
0: It kind of reminds me of The Killer too, the Fincher movie. In some sure. ways, I feel like if this was the movie that Fincher released as the killer, it would be getting talked about as potentially like a best picture winner. <laughs> right. But because it's Lars von Trier and as popular as he is, but also he's been in a lot of ways pigeonholed. He's been canceled too.
1: Kind of. Yeah. Relegated <laughs> into. Maybe deservedly so, but who knows? I don't even know the controversy. He he, him. he made some joke about Hitler. Basically, he said a Hitler thing. But anytime you do that, you should know that celebrity one hundred and one, like you are going to get canceled, bro. Yeah, damn. <laughs> and Mars. it was supposed to be a joke, and Alexander Skarsgård came, you know, running to his side, like, "Hey, man! Like, it was just a joke." But like, I, I I feel like in especially in the liberal arts community, like a film festival community, it was just like a no no.
0: Yeah, damage is already done. Yeah. Well. But with some of the controversy regarding his films in the past for either their religious content or sexual content or murderous content, (laughs) it seems like he's a filmmaker that has a following but also gets overlooked a lot of the time. Totally. Just because people are so familiar with him. Where I do think if you slap on any mainstream filmmaker's name to this film you have all these people talking about how interesting and dynamic and thought-provoking it is. Totally. And in some ways is similar in the comedic tone that Fincher has with the killer, which is kind of fascinating to me <laughs> in using the serial killer as somebody that talks a lot and uh, has, like, humorous musings. While well, this character is a lot less likable than Fastbender's character in The Killer there is something, I guess, kind of similar to them, especially about, like, the process. Mm -hmm. I mean, in that movie, it's not art. It's being an assassin. But the idea of your relationship to your work and the nature of your work and the way in which work can dominate your life is very uh, akin to what is going on in the house that Jack built. And you can easily make the connection between... You know, assassin in quotes an artist and the work that goes into being good at your job and the demand of it the anxiety of it the pressures of it i think that there's a lot of overlap which is kind of interesting <laughs> to me yeah how you have a handful of movies that kind of occupy a similar premise similar concept but each filmmaker is going about it You know, in their own way, not just stylistically and aesthetically, but in terms of the parts of the
1: conversation they want to explore. Right. (sighs) Hmm. Yeah. Which is done through the character. Like, I think that's maybe the most fascinating part of this movie to me. Like, all these high level things we're talking about, like how an artist is expressing his relationship with art and what even portion of art he's going to be discussing or how to live your life. He's going to be discussing like it all comes down to the character. Like the character is your path to what they're trying to express. And I'm glad you brought up the killer. I did watch it and I, God, I I tried so hard to like find my in with it. And like, even though I, I think I maybe understand what the movie's saying. Like I never quite connected with it. I didn't, it didn't feel like the character came alive enough to me for Me to be like sidled up next to the message, be like, okay, like here it is. Like, I get it. Here's what Fincher's trying to say. But I do feel that way about the house that Jack built. I feel like he keeps saying the house, <laughs> like I'm Southern. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why it's so hard for me to say those five words in a row. Um, and how Lars Brontier is this totally extra figure, you know, he is very polarizing. I, I feel like on some level, you can't become the kind of artist he is and make the kind of movies he makes if you just aren't kind of okay with people hating you (laughs) and hating the kinds of movies you make and knowing that you won't appeal to like 90% of people, you know? Uh, So for the character he chose to kind of explore that relationship in that specific expression, I'm just so fascinated by Jack or slash Mr. Sophistication and what he is and how he becomes who he becomes. Because ultimately... And to what he becomes will become the statement that Lars von is making about art and his relationship with art and his roles as an artist and all that. And essentially, Jack is this guy. You know, he—he's—I I hate to use the word crazy. I don't mean to like stigmatize, and but you know, he—he's psychotic. <laughs> he is Norma Bates from Psycho. <laughs> he is just—he's lost his mind. And it all starts from this place of he has no idea how to empathize. He doesn't understand empathy he doesn't know how to empathize with others and because of it he comes to not even hate the world he just has no opinion on the world like the world it's like at the beginning when uh uman thurman's character says something to him like oh are you offended that i called you celiacare? and he says it has no consequence in my life whatsoever <laughs> this very <laughs> deadpan way that made me laugh um and he goes from that somebody who just like can't recognize saints to somebody who Pretends to recognize all these things and he sits in the mirror and he says happy sad angry and he trains himself to be like a person and slowly slowly becomes this model of civility that you're supposed to be and and become somebody that can be out in the world and have relationships and and he uses that as as his art because like he's not really any of these things he's just pretending so we can get close enough and like hurt more people hurt all these people he doesn't understand and just wants to punish and like that becomes his art that becomes what he builds the house he builds and in the end like what does he have to show for it like a pile of bodies and he thinks he can like crawl around the wall of this tunnel and like still get to heaven but he falls and meets like ultimately like what did any of it mean when he was just gonna burn and die in hell (laughs) the legacy he he built was a bad one it was cruel He he had no idea how to empathize and could not connect with all these people he was supposedly creating art for. He became a monstrous figure, and Lars Von Trier paints that as a bad thing. Like there can be, you can do bad things with your art and the way you live your life. So by punishing this person, Lars Von Trier kind of expels him. Says like I have no use for this kind of person. It becomes an expression of like I actually do think my art has done good. Uh, At least that's how I read it. it, or it's at least commenting on that discussion somewhat right I, I just think that's so fascinating I mean yeah
0: especially in the way that you have multiple moments that Jack has to essentially improv when you talk about him in the mirror and you're reading this and he even talks about it with Virgil the idea of uh, the characters you create the stories that you're telling uh, the what an artist is doing And it's almost like you can see, or they talk about the cruelty that an artist shows to the characters, right? And the idea Mm. that um, artists have these, like, repressed things that they want to do, and that's why they have characters do them. And they reject that notion, which I agree with. I think that's ridiculous. As somebody who has had characters do things that I would never (laughs) do and I find, like, reprehensible, it's not something where I'm secretly like, oh, yes, yes, yes. It's more just you're thinking about the story, you're thinking about the emotional component that this thing gets at rather than the thing itself. Yeah. And there's something fascinating when you have a movie that is being a meta-commentary about creating art that essentially the author within the work is trying to figure out how to become a person and is looking at these various people because as a storyteller, you have to do that you have to be the main character you have to be the love interest you have to be the antagonist you have to be every single person and find a way into them that's believable thoughtful and the same way that Jack's improving when he's talking to yeah uh <laughs> what is it Kathy uh Claire or Claire or er, oh wait the um, gosh I don't remember Claire yeah the widow yeah She's like, do you have a badge? And he's like, uh, no, because <laughs> it's at that the, scene. yeah, it's just, he's has been There are any more citations to, yeah. <laughs> citations to it. Yeah. Citations to it. He's making things up as he goes, which feels very meta in terms of arts and the fact that you're kind of working your way through a scene.
1: Oh, wow. And I you're like writing
0: things, testing things, seeing if it's believable, not believable, there's something, like, stupid and comedic and very true in that way that's pretty fascinating
1: about how things yeah. are playing out. Um, hmm. Yeah, I love that. I it, Yeah, and it's not like it's that's done in some annoying... Like, I feel like this is where telling can go wrong, when everything you just said is made super obvious. Like, him putting together a speech is just a metaphor for... Um, an artist putting together a story, which is what you could picture Lonsver, Lars Von Trier doing like, as he writes the script. Like, it's built into the character. Like This character is learning how to be a certain kind of way. And A, that lends to comedy, which is incredible, to watch Matt Dillon do all of these things <laughs> and try to convince, say, like it's my constitutional right. And the cop's just like, what? What are you talking about? like this guy is just making things up and trying to appear normal for the first time in his life until he eventually achieves it he's he can have a girlfriend at some point (laughs) like this psycho who didn't know how to relate to anybody like suddenly becomes part of the world and uh and that and builds himself like a family and stuff it's um the, the character is again the end to all of these deeper level thinking things that uh, sometimes just aren't as interesting like for me in the killer like it just wasn't as interesting as something like this it's taking that discussion that and in, that internal reflection and just framing it in a way i've never seen before
0: yeah i mean the killer essentially it has some frame through the telling at the beginning but it's very distanced and very hands off in a way that's even more to the left of say Terrifier 2 mm-hmm. it almost positions Terrifier 2 as a middle ground between the, right. the killer and the house that Jack built um, mm. I do want to mention too like outside of some of the thematic stuff just the the fact that you have Bruno Ganz playing <laughs> Virgil was really funny to me because I mean Bruno's been in a ton of movies yeah. right a ton of great I, ones I know, I know him mostly from Wings of Desire. Yeah. So it's funny that in that movie where he plays an angel (laughs) who's like judging people, you kind of have him here playing Virgil who's guiding Jack on the way to hell. Part of me wonders if that was even meta, even of itself, like in of itself. Right. (laughs) Um, I like that. And then the fact that Lars von Trier had Bruno, (laughs) Bruno go through a cave with gushing water and just filmed it with a handheld camera yeah that was very it felt very inland empire in a way yeah i like that that. suddenly the camera shifts you have these guys trudging through a cave somewhere with water pouring around them they're in that's not a river is it it's a stream it's i don't know what you would call that yeah I don't know. river but what a scene to get them to film and to just say you know what fuck it (laughs) we're going in with a handheld camera it's gonna look weird but in some ways it becomes very stylistically very raw that matches then the strange stylistic choice of suddenly uh going uh renaissance painting yep with the one scene where you just have everybody depicted i guess that's supposed to be the the crossing of the thames Mm-hmm. But it's depicted in this very, I mean, painting, painterly style that was just absurd to see. Beautiful. But just, I did not expect that kind of imagery. And yeah. was very impressed by that.
1: I could have watched it for an hour. I just kept, like, examining every single person and trying to get, like, everything, glean everything I could about them. and <laughs> What they were struggling with in that moment. Um, yeah. Love... Everything you just said, uh, the whole ending, it, I, I joked about this earlier, Chris, but the way I would describe Lars von Trier's aesthetic is metal. Like the dude is just fucking irreverent. And all of these crazy styles that are clashing at the end, like in your head, you would think like, well, that couldn't work, but it works so beautifully and feels so cohesive to send Matt Dillon and Bruto Gans down into <laughs> like a river, a cave river with a camera than to explode into the most beautiful like moving painting you've ever seen it's just such a like I, it doesn't need to mean anything like you don't need the it, it it's like the meaning's almost inherent like that's what makes it so beautiful is that i don't even know how i would describe that if i was to write a movie guide about this like it it, it defies expectations it feels ethereal something like beyond me uh to to put to put all that put all of those styles together and make it feel cohesive like that is just that's one hell of an art that he has seemed to master
0: yeah i there's something cool too uh in some of the background on the film they were saying that it initially didn't have the hell portion
1: Hmm. that
0: that was something that yeah that's right was it the the co-writer or someone told him that hey you should take it even further (laughs) <laughs> yeah um yeah the co-writer genie Halland. um it was just like yeah you should go to hell like take them there go there and that's a thing i feel not enough movies do enough of and it's a complaint that i have i think i've even made it on the show like too many stories are act one act two and once they get to the implication of act three right they end because the ending is the hardest thing. Seeing a story through to the conclusion of what you set up is the hardest thing, especially to do it in a way that is uh,
1: satisfying to people and it expands upon it. Like doesn't just yeah. like oh here's what happened. Like adds that extra little twist that makes you that makes it like position in your mind and recognize it. You know. Yep. Too many people avoid that. They
0: want to end with the implication because there's power. in ending with this thing could happen. like If you ended this movie with Jack going into the hole with Virgil, just going into the house, you could absolutely end there and it would feel appropriate and even satisfying to a number of people because the implication of what happens next is there. You can make the argument that it's for us to discuss what happens next. There's all this context about why he's going down there. We have enough information to take it to the next place ourselves but that's not our job (laughs) our job is to bear witness to what the artist is doing and most artists especially doing bigger productions that we see in hollywood are cowards in that way yeah they don't want to go the full nine yards or the full 10 yards i don't even know what the phrase would be like to the hilt They don't want to take it to the hilt because a lot of them don't know what to do. And Lars von Trier took it there, and he even said that he had... His implication would be to leave Jack just kind of hanging on the rock and have that kind of thematic of, will he make it to the other side? Will he not? Or you kind of have the, the eternal punishment of him hanging there, always maybe getting to the other side, but not quite but that it felt a lot more satisfying giving Jack's character (laughs) to just have a classical ending a la Hitchcock and had him fall and made it very clear. Like, yeah, Yeah. he fell. He's a bad guy.
1: He dies. Oh, man. I didn't even think about it because I know I've read that quote before, but I forgot he mentioned Hitchcock's part of the discussion to think I was connecting with Psycho. Yeah, I get this guy. (laughs) so i
0: really admire the fact that he took it there it's something else like there will be blood takes it to the third act in the way that you should go like past lives takes it to where it should go like there's a version of past lives where the person just has the guy show up uh like celine song just has uh the old flame show up and that's where the movie ends and you're just going like what was the what was the point of Chris is saying like that, say that? everybody else this? would be praising
1: they would be <laughs> because monks. you could totally, I get that. Like it, it does remind me a little bit of um the ending of the lobster and how it does kind of end with, it ends a little more philosophically in a sense that it ends with this blind woman sitting there and um, Colin Farrell says like, I'll be right back. And then it just ends with the shot of her and you're supposed, you're left wondering if he will come back. Like the movie does end with an implication in a way. I think you could argue that that implication becomes like a twist on the meaning of the movie actually, and expands it in that way. Um, But I could see that that kind of ending does frustrate people. And does it frustrate you? I guess that's my question. (laughs) Uh, With The Lobster, I think it at least serves a bit more of a
0: thematic point rather than being cowardly about the ending. It sets up this romance between the two characters and in this dystopian world, you have to be married and you have to be married to somebody that has a similar physical aspect that you have. So if you have a club foot you marry somebody with a club foot if you get rashes you marry somebody who gets rashes if you have glasses you marry someone who gets glasses it's strange in that way that you have to have these like matching physical aspects that kind of transcend the romantic aspects Mm -hmm. or the personality based aspects for these characters they find love outside of that society in this kind of counterculture Uh, but turns out that they're both nearsighted so they also have this thing in common they love each other so you set this up as an actual romance in the world that we were seeing was devoid of that but then she's blinded by somebody so in order for them to actually live together and be part of society together he has to blind himself or else abandon her and so bringing it to that point of setting up the romance, having the blinding and then leaving with the fact that the character has to make a choice i think is fair right. if you're going for the philosophical ending but i don't think enough stories are by people who are even like <sighs> qualified enough to be setting up something like that to be
1: doing a philosophical ending
0: like yeah, yeah. like it, it, it takes... isn't really
1: philosophical it's just it's just literally going, like, what would you do here? Like, it's it's not an expansion of something.
0: Yeah, where that's, like, the expansion on the whole concept. Like, the yes. whole movie's built up to asking that question, where many others aren't.
1: Yeah, and a big part of that is the characters have reached a certain apex. Like, if in past lives, if we got to the point where the guy just showed up, like, that woman has so much more to work through. Like, the movie would have to do way more work before that. And set up really kind of a whole different movie, (laughs) like a whole different journey. Uh, So, yeah, I get it. One thousand percent. By the way, while you were talking and you were chastising anyone who just like leaves the third act out of a movie, you said that's not our job. A, I love that. I'm going to put that quote somewhere in my office. Um, (laughs) But I could picture like um, I, I, I can picture if you ever write a book that's just a collection of movies you hate or something. Um, it's going to be you in the cover, just like Roger Ebert was on the cover of that one book. Where it was just like all of his reviews of movies he hated. Just like looking angrily at the camera, like that's going to be your future. <laughs> that's not I our so. job. That's not our job. Just, Write better. Just telling everyone what they did wrong. Telling, Taking Hollywood the task. I know, though you know, that's a good way to make enemies. Uh, I don't care anymore. (laughs) I've cared so much less about that over the years, mostly because like, I feel like any review or bad thing I ever say about a movie, like I don't think a, it'll ever get to any of the people who made the art, but if it ever does, it'll be just like one or two people and I can live with that. (laughs) That's fine. Where me, I'm the only
0: child that's just like, oh, of course, every filmmaker ever is going to go back and read what I wrote about them at some point.
1: And if I had to pick two people that did hear it one of these days, it would be Ari Aster and Damien Chazelle.
0: (laughs) Of course, of course.
1: Not you, Bull. Like, none of those people. Like, Ari Aster, Damien Chazelle. (laughs) They're just like, the fuck did I do? (laughs) For trying so hard. Uh...
0: All right. Anything else?
1: Nah, man. I love this movie. (laughs) I thought like even again, like as I was coming into this podcast, I was like, I think I love it. Like, I'm pretty sure I do. And as we were talking about it, I was like, oh, yeah, like this movie just if it feels part of me now, like I like it, it makes me want to reevaluate what movies I've given five stars to in my life and be like, does this really deserve five stars or have I moved beyond like what this is? Ooh, that's fascinating. Yeah. I guess I'm kind of giving away the next part.
0: Yeah, where's it where's <laughs> it ranked
1: for you? <laughs> so these are the rankings we've compiled since this, uh, since last year we started our list at different times. My list is up to 510 movies. It's a lot of movies. It's a lot of movies. And I hadn't ranked the movie yet. I'm sitting here looking at it now. Before today, it was, where the hell is it? Oh, whoops, I accidentally added something to the list. Okay. Uh, how's that Jack built? I had it at 104. Okay. I'm moving it up. Um, I feel like I'm obligated to put it at the end of like my absolute favorite movies. Like uh, outside of the group, it needs to like earn its way into the top tier. <laughs> So, I'm going to put it right here. So, I'm putting it at number 11.
0: 11 is really fucking high. I did not expect that.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I just expected it either. (laughs)
0: Wow. And maybe I'm
1: riding a high right now. We'll see.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I, uh, what's the sandwich?
1: Oh, my sandwich. Uh, funny enough, Terrifier 2 at the top. (laughs) Then Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, God. There's so many people who are just like, who is this guy? <laughs> the House that Jack built. It's about to get crazier. Twilight Breaking, Ta- Breaking Dawn Part 2. And then Possession. Woo. Oh, man. Breaking Dawn Part 2 is the one where I'm, it's like, it's just, it's a special movie. <laughs> just because it's so insane.
0: It's insane. I, the thing I will say to anybody that's aghast at Breaking Dawn Part 2 is, I think it helps if you realize that the people making it
1: probably hated it. (laughs) Yeah, because they're on the fifth movie and they're like, fuck, when is this going to be over? I'm pretty sure that most of
0: the movie is supposed to be like tongue in cheek. Like there's the scene where they leave a message for somebody in a book and it just happens to be Shakespeare hollowed out. And I don't know if that was in the book itself, but I feel like that's just one of those things where the filmmakers are like, yeah, this is stupid, right? Like we're going to lean into it a little bit or when she hunts a deer for the first time.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, That stuff is like, I know what you mean that it's ton in cheek. I mean, it's it's a campy movie in that way. It is ton in cheek and it really leans into very simple yet absurd things that are just like so obvious. Like the whole page thing. It's a page torn out of, uh, is it Merchant from Venice? Is that the name of that book? Yes. Um, and it's it's meant to be a sign to Bella. Like she would be the only one to think to look in the book, actually look in the book that the page was torn from. Apparently no one else has thought of this, but Bella would because like she likes books <laughs> and likes Shakespeare. So she goes over to the book and like finds a message that's only for her. Like it's so stupid yet it's done so earnestly. Like I, I actually think Kristen Bell... Uh, Kristen Bell? Kristen Stewart? Kristen Bell should have been in the movie. Uh, <laughs> Kristen Stewart fucking kills it in all those movies, and I think she's still kind of going for it at the end. So she really... She holds that movie up on her shoulders. Yeah. I I really like... I like her in everything she's in. She's
0: awesome. Um, okay. So I'm at like a hundred seventy six or maybe a hundred seventy seven I think there might be one on here that I haven't put yet poor things uh I just put poor things oh, okay on there. um but I'm not sure of its of its place <laughs> uh, I currently have and this is a strange one uh I have the house that Jack built at number one eighteen at the top of the neutral category okay yeah Because I think it's better than some of the movies, like a lot of the movies above it. Like I have Violent Night at number 90, right? Mm -hmm. I think that house that Jack built, the highs of it definitely put it above that. Like Like there's part of me that could put it in the impressive category above like The Lighthouse or Die Hard. There's just that complaint that I had that on the scene level... There were times that I thought it was maybe a little too cruel, a little too Mm -hmm. even boring at times that the complaints that I have almost even out a lot of the praise that I have for the ideas. So I think that there's almost like a masterpiece of ideas in there. I get that. But that I'm also torn on how much I enjoyed the total execution (sighs)
1: It's pretty essential to enjoy the movie you're watching. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So that's why I have it
1: at the the top
0: of the neutral category.
1: Yeah. I, um, not that I'm saying you need to watch the movie again, but I, I had a similar reaction in the sense that I did think parts of it were boring and actually did feel that way about melancholia the second time or the third time I watched it for this podcast where like, I knew some of the scenes were on the slower side and just like kind of getting at one thing instead of being about like a lot of things. Um, but this time around, it did kind of bore me, where The House at built, a lot of the scenes, like, say when he's trying to lie his way out of a situation, it just, like, keeps going and keeps going. Like, at first, I found boring, and now, like, I recognize as, like, a very heightened sense of comedy. Like, it's supposed to kind of be boring. Like, the fact that it's boring is kind of what makes it funny. <laughs> that it's just been going on for so long, and and no movie would ever allow this kind of conversation to happen for this long like on some level I feel like Lars von Trier is just like I get his sense of humor so much at this point and how dark and absurd it is that um, and going beyond the humor I guess in general any any scene that feels like it's dragging on like and for whatever reason in my mind I've connected to his aesthetic to to a degree that like I get it and I get why it's doing it that way yeah but uh... I understand not liking that
0: yeah I think it's just a stylistic thing of I like I see the humor I see kind of the 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 reason why people would love what this is doing but for me it was falling just a little flat at times Mm -hmm. so the sandwich which is a little absurd uh, coming in the last two at the end of the positive section John Wick chapter 3 and John Wick chapter (laughs) 2
1: (laughs) <laughs> Two movies I can't stand.
0: Yeah, like I don't think they're particularly great, but The House that Jack Built, and then 3,000 Years of Longing, and Death on the Nile. Wow.
1: I guess any indie movie sandwich you put together ends up being weird. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like it. You're like, how
0: can these be rated in the same spot? It's like, well, they're just offering different experiences but kind of the same. landing in the same arena.
1: Yeah. Okay, Reaching into the show here. Um instead of picking a new movie to watch next week, it I think tentatively anyway what we discussed is we're going to use the next episode as kind of a season finale, Chris. We did 45 episodes this year?
0: That really? Yeah, That's true. Out of
1: 52 weeks, so not bad for two busy people. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually kind of insane. Uh, And next week will be 46. Um, So we're going to use it as kind of a season finale and we're going to talk about the best movies we've seen in 2023. I I also think tentatively the way we're going to approach it is since I didn't see a ton of new movies, I saw some but I wouldn't even say I saw that many. I'm super excited about. I think I'm just going to make my list the best movies I've seen in 2023. New movies since I watch a lot of a lot of new movies and Chris will be doing the 2023 movies. Cause you, you just see a lot more than I do.
0: Yeah. I've watched a lot more 2023
1: movies. You've watched a lot more movies for the first time. <laughs> yeah. I, yep. Yeah, it's a, it is a passion. I, I actually recently realized that I've, cause Letterboxd give you these stats. I have rewatched more movies this year than watched new movies. So it was kind of a down year for me, but I still Ooh. watched a lot nice nice all right well
0: then we'll do that and uh, then we'll have a little end of the year break and then
1: return
0: I already know what movie I'm gonna pick
1: oh I'm excited
0: yeah so uh I guess we'll save that for the next episode yeah
1: um, and one last thing I want to bring up since we're kind of approaching the end of the season here we always talk about this Chris we, especially as of late we've been talking about it a lot and I need to clear this up we're doing this catchphrase <laughs> that we want to do so badly at the end of the, the episode. And the goal is for me to say lights, you to say camera, then for the, at the same time, for both of us to say action at the exact same time. And that's been tough. Has it not? Sia. We say see ya at the same time. Or see ya, Sorry. Not action. <laughs> oh, maybe that's why I'm confused. Cause I don't even understand the fucking anyway. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, and you get very frustrated to the degree that you think I am fucking with you big time, like on a meta level, like I'm pretending I don't know what I'm doing, that I'm fu- I'm not fucking with you. Which if I was, I would be lying right now. But I really am not fucking <laughs> with you. That I I am sincerely trying to say C at the same time as you. But you've become frustrated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Now, here's what I'm going to theorize that I... To, You know, and I agree with you. Like, for professionals, we should be saying "see" at the same time. I mean, come on. On the base level, we can do that. Especially because, like, I don't think that's a very hard thing to do. (laughs) Like, Like, if you and I are sitting in the same room at the same time, it can see each other saying the words. Like, it's easy to do. And I don't think doing it over Skype is like that. It's not that. It doesn't make it that much tougher. Like, we should be able to do this very easily. So what? And I realized this in a moment and my, my life flashed before my eyes. I, I started racing back through my life and realizing something. That the issue is not that we're not able to do it. The issue is that you have always, and I can prove it, have always had a slight delay on what you're hearing from my end. And I know this because over the years I have edited all of our podcasts. We used to have another podcast, and I did a lot. Of, I did a lot more editing on that podcast. The only editing I have to do for this podcast is a when Chris's dog barks, b when my baby go crazy, and um, <laughs> c when I have to edit this the end of the show here when I have to put together. Uh, when I just have to put in the the outro music, you know, and when I put it together, put the outro music in, I can always hear the final part of the episode i hear it finally and i've synced up i i have put our you know i have to line up our voices together and make sure like when you're done talking i talk like i have to make it sound like cohesive like we're having an actual conversation i've always noticed over the course of time that there's been a slight delay with you that i am always talking like right when you finish talking and that you take like an extra beat whenever i'm done talking and i always thought that was just like the way you spoke but i'm starting to think now that i'm seeing the end of the episodes here and how we're always off that that's not really the case that when i line up the audio i can make them match up when i am doing it like what sounds like a regular conversation but if i was to put the audio in the way that it actually plays out (laughs) then it is always off does any of that make sense Maybe I still can't <laughs> tell if this is a bit. I just realized just now that all of that could be part of the lie.
0: <laughs> yeah, I but I, I spent hours
1: I, rehearsing the story.
0: I don't I don't know what to believe
1: because uh
0: I don't know how much of a a delay I hear though your editing you would know. I
1: don't know how much is just me giving a pause. Oh uh, we'll see. I, yeah, maybe it could be that. I just, uh, I don't know. So anyway, that was all set up for what's about to happen.
0: Oh, yeah. Were you
1: <laughs> punk me again? <laughs> all right, you ready? Yeah. All right. Lights? Camera? See ya. See ya.
0: One of these days. Hmm.